This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Maya. And I'm Luca Levitz-Mebler. And our topic this week is... Nintendo Mobile Games. Ooh, I've been looking forward to this one. Uh, but first, we have some follow-up. Yes, we do. And it's about Nintendo again. So uh, on January 21st, which is yesterday at the time of recording, Nintendo announced amazing sales number for the Nintendo Switch. So after nine months of it being released, Nintendo announced that they nearly sold 15 million units, already beating the overall Wii U sales in not even a year. Wow. What's even more crazy, what's even crazier, is that Nintendo is on its, on its way to beat the GameCube overall sales in about a year, 15 months. So the overall numbers for the GameCube was around 20 million units, and the Switch being at 15, if it sells continue to grow as fast as it is right now, we can expect that to happen in the coming months. That's crazy, because the GameCube is not a terrible console. It was like a really good console at the time, and it's really surprising that a console with such an anemic game lineup right now is going to overtake it uh, soon. Right, but what's interesting about the GameCube, though, it, it was not that big of a commercial success if you compare it with the other consoles of its generation. It's true, but I, I, I'm not sure why. I mean, like, there's always, like we were saying on the last episode, there's always different factors that are going to influence the commercial success of something versus the quality of the games that are on it. And the GameCube pretty much had a really good Nintendo game lineup, uh, where it sort of fell apart as third party games. And it's that sort of started Nintendo's horrible habit of screwing third party developers out of developing on their consoles. Um, but that's another topic. Also, part of those numbers, Nintendo announced the number of copies sold for some of its uh, Nintendo IP. And if we look at it right now, Super Mario Odyssey sold 9 million copies. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which surprised me to see it as high as it is, sold 7.33 million. The Legend of Zelda is at 6.7 million. And last but not least, Platoon 2 is closing to 5 million at 4.91 million units so it's quite interesting that at this point nearly two-thirds of switch owners bought odyssey nearly half a little bit yeah nearly half of the uh, user base bought mario kart 8 deluxe and nearly an half just a bit below half uh bought the legend of zelda so great numbers for nintendo games hopefully like enix mentioned the lineup will be growing but that's not even the first year of its release, and it's already amazing numbers for the Nintendo Switch. The Nintendo Switch. I do want to tack on that on that earnings call. They also announced that the uh, Nintendo Switch Online system, which was supposed to launch uh, this winter, actually got pushed back until September. So it's going to be launching in September of 2018. Hopefully, there won't be any more delays. And uh, like it was sort of a running joke in the lead up to a recent Nintendo Direct that. Basically, like, uh, they announced Nintendo Labo, which is sort of their weird cardboard stuff for the Switch. And people were like, I really just want to be able to have a good multiplayer experience with my friends. And then Nintendo busts in and they say, hey, do you want to turn your Switch into a bird? It's like crazy shit. <laughs> yep. But if you do a small tangent on the Nintendo Labo, then it looks really nice. And uh, Tony and I are eagerly awaiting its release. So... I guess we might uh, have some more follow-up about it or uh, for more review uh, later 
in the show. Not this show, but in the show's life. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. like, yeah. this is going to be a long show if we have to no, wait until Lobo no. is out. Yeah, yeah, it will be. That's true. But, yeah, great number for Nintendo, its console, and its games. So I've, uh, I've, I will have included a couple of uh, tweets and articles regarding it. There's a couple of great uh, graphs that is nice to see. So that, now let's move to Nintendo Mobile Games. Yet another episode that is Nintendo based, but I think Nintendo had a great, uh, week. Uh, a great week on the Switch, but a not so great week on the mobile games. And the reason why I decided to talk about, uh, the mobile initiative of Nintendo is because Nintendo announced that Mitebo will be shutting down. But before we start, we talked about it shutting down, I would like to remind our users what Mitomo is. This is a great idea because a lot of people forgot about it, which is why it's closing down. Exactly. So, I think it's not even a year ago. Maybe uh, 16? It's almost exactly a year ago. Actually, no, wait. It was before Super Mario Run, and Super Mario Run came out in December of uh, 2016. So, I think it's like summer to fall of 2016 when that came out right so it's about 18 months ago nearly two years that it was kind of announced that nintendo will be bringing will be starting to produce mobile games and mitomo was its first game and i think the best way to describe it for people know who know what ask fm is mitomo was nintendo's ask fm with me and ask fm and Mitomo was uh, where social networks based, uh, where social network based on answering questions from your friends. So you would, friends will like, would submit questions for you to answer and you would answer it. And Mitomo is exactly that. Well, just with it, you, me. It's a little bit different because in Mitomo, you can't explicitly send questions to your friends. It's Mitomo asks you questions that you fill out and then your friends can see your answers to those questions. Right, and I think that's kind of the the best way to describe it is Nintendo's version of being it politically correct. Because sometimes I've seen stuff on Ask FM that is not for kids, for sure. Uh, trust me, I have friends that are huge perverts, and I have seen some not very wholesome things on Mitomo as well. Wow. Okay, because most of the question like are they are about general topics, but most of them like revolve around like favorite color food or like i know there was past history like school and stuff it was just so it's funny because all of those questions like were around all of the password recovery information which was a bit (laughs) strange too because if you follow people that didn't take care of making sure that they don't use this exact information in those password recovery questions you could uh, find some nice information and nice passwords from people you know and love. Yeah, the way I've always described Mitomo to other people is the only wholesome social network. Uh, of course, this provide this is provided that your friends aren't perverts like mine. Um, but yeah, it's just really it, the entire focus of the thing was you were only going to add your closest friends, which everyone on the internet immediately ignored and then regretted. Um, 
and you were supposed to be truthful in answering your questions, and everybody was going to discover new things about each other. And it's sort of this crazy, weird utopia thing that only Nintendo could think would actually happen in real life, but what actually happens is your friends are all horrible people who will post the most disgusting answers to the questions they possibly come up, come up with. Right, and related to that, it doesn't seem like a game, but it was sold to people as a game because... It was a free-to-play game. And I forgot, and I was trying to find why you could buy credits in Metable and what was its usage. Oh, I know. So what it is. So there was there was an in-game shop where you could buy clothes for your me, and there were limited-time events, uh, which I believe rotated every two to three weeks, where you could go and... Sp- Spend money to spend real money to go play basically like this pachinko-ish game where you had to drop uh, something in a slot and if it fell into the right hole you could get a clothing item. So it's basically a random chance of getting a clothing item uh, from this pool of stuff. And there were ways to get uh, like coins you could use in that mode uh, for free. But for the most part, you're going to be spending real money to get stuff like Splatoon clothes for your, uh, for your me or Mario clothes for your me. And they had like these rotating things. Most of them were Nintendo inspired, though I believe like sometimes there was like a Christmas or a Halloween event where you could get like holiday goods. But for the most part, it was like themed limited time events where you could get clothes for your me that you were spending money on. The problem with that, of course, is that after three weeks, nobody was using Mitomo, and therefore nobody cared if you had fancy clothes in Mitomo because nobody was going to look at your profile. Oh, that's interesting. I think the clothing aspect will come back when we tackle our the fourth mobile game from Nintendo, which I won't spoil right now, but you might know what it is. So yeah, uh, that's quite interesting, and I do expect that's kind of the main reason why uh, Nintendo is closing it. It's because it was not making enough money. And like you said, uh, nobody played it after the initial like one-month launch. Like the one-month per window after the launch. And it, and took, it's, it took them like three weeks to a month uh, to actually add questions to Midon. And if you were trying to play Midon as something you were doing every day, you had gone through all the questions at least once. And once you had gone through all the questions, you basically got like this brick wall where it was like, now you've seen all the questions, so uh, do something else, except there's nothing else to do in Mitomo, so you can't really do something else except quit Mitomo. Uh, and then a couple days later, it would try to feed you the same questions that you already rejected because you thought they were boring questions. So it was sort of this boring cycle for like, you maybe didn't run into the limit of the questions in the first week, but then the next three weeks were completely boring, and then there was no point to go there, because you and your friends had all gone through every question in the game, and you had to wait for the next release, and nobody actually waited. They all just deleted me no more. Yeah, and part of preparing for this episode, I've thought I downloaded Mitobo in the past, but realized I never downloaded it. And my only experience with this was just uh, Tony played it in the first month and it was just to show me what you were doing on it and that's it. And then I realized like I seriously downloaded it like a couple of days ago and the, the game was still asking me to create an account. I was like, I'm not creating an account here. I'm about to close in like two, two or three months. So it did. It was quite funny that it, I forgot that I never installed it and never played it directly, but that it was only through Tony that I experienced this game. And like we mentioned a lot, uh, after it's one year, and I think, like we said, we don't remember the exact date, but 
Around its first year anniversary, Nintendo will shut it down. So last week, Nintendo announced that they will be shutting down Mitomo, uh, and that uh, on main line, all the servers will go down, will go offline, and you won't be able to answer your question that you might want to share with your friend. Which, let's be honest, uh, in my opinion, Mitomo was a kind of a failed success, and I think in all markets, it was kind of a failed success it was not like it failed in north america but was super good in japan i think it failed everywhere so that explains why nintendo is just shutting down and moving to the next mobile game well let's be honest if japan wants to actually play a game where you customize your own character they are going to be interested in animal crossing not in mitomo because animal crossing is ridiculously successful in japan right but, like I just said earlier, Animal Crossing is the fourth game and will go in chronological order. Yeah. So the next game, which was announced in a big splash at an Apple event. Yep. It was announced at last year's fall event. No, but 2016. 2016 fall event. Yeah, fall event. And it's Super Mario Run. It was also announced as the first App Store app slash game to be uh, pre that you can pre-order through the app store uh, and introducing a new app store feature and uh, it was launched a couple of uh, a month or two after the apple fall event of 2016 it was in december and i remember this because i was in japan at the time and there was this big disagreement which i believe we talked about on the show where the north american media was reporting that Super Mario Run was like delayed and then on the very same day Japanese news outlets were saying Super Mario Run is coming out literally tomorrow and like there was this 24 hours of confusion where the North American media was completely in the weeds as to what they had heard on Japanese media and it was hilarious um but yeah it came out then and I remember that uh since I was on LTE mostly during my Japan trip I didn't actually download it until much later when I got on Wi-Fi um, and I think the best way to put this is a lot of game makers on the app store would be very happy to be as successful as Super Mario Run was, given that it was a free trial plus, uh, one lump sum for unlocking all the levels, uh, model. A lot of developers would be very, very jealous of Nintendo's success, but Nintendo did not consider it a success in terms. Right, which I will stop you there because before I want to talk about its lesser failure compared to Mitomo, I really want to just remind people what uh, Super Mario Run is, what Super Mario Run is, and if you haven't played it, it's just a good thing to know. So uh, it was a 3D Mario game that Yannick loves. Yannick loves 3D Mario. It's games. a 2D Mario game with 3D graphics. Let's not lie here. Fair, fair, okay, okay, sure. It it is, though it's a side-scroller, so that's good. Yeah, that's what I mean by 2D, Mario. Yeah, I know, I know, it's a side-scroller with 3D graphics, so yes, that's the correct way to describe it. But this is one where Mario walks automatically. He runs automatically, actually, given the name, because I believe in in certain places he can actually walk. Oh, that's interesting. I, I did wrote n- walk in my notes, but I always assume that Mario wa- uh, walks because I don't think Mario like run because he's always run. So it's he doesn't I, always run. Well, maybe in your weird 3D Mario's he always runs, but you have to hold down a button to run in the 2D Mario's. That's true. Ah, uh, that's true. The, uh, yeah, in the true Mario games, it 
in Mario the one true run. Mario lore. Yeah, oh my goodness. Oh, yeah, 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 tonight. But still, so uh, in this one, Mario runs automatically. And the main user interaction is just to tap the screen to make him do a special trick. The main one is to jump. But if you want to do multiple jump, you just tap multiple times on your screen. And there are other moves that can be triggered if you're on a special block. So I believe there's one of the blocks that lets you roll forward if you tap while you're on that block. And there right. are a couple other gimmicks like that. And there's a couple of, like, another gimmick with the blocks is there's the pause block, where when Mario walks on or runs on it, he stops running. And to make him run again, you need to tap the screen. Um, like Yannick started to talk about, uh, Super Mario Run was a free-to-play game, but it was more a trial mode. So it was free to try. You could do a couple of uh, level in the world through mode. But if you want to co- complete the game, and all of the levels in World Tour, you had to pay the $9.99 US, US dollars to unlock the full game. And like I just mentioned, uh, World Tour was a typical side-scroller Mario game you would have imagined with the Super Mario, Super Mario Run mechanics that are different from other side-scroller Mario. But they added the kind of the, the online play element to this game, which... This mode was named, what is named Toad Rally. And the oh, goal. Oh, I forgot about this. Yeah. And the goal in to- uh, Toad Rally is to get the most Toad characters on your side because you go through those same side scroller level and you collect coins and the way you jump. And if you do multiple jump combos, you'll get, uh, Todd's, most Todd's character on your side, like cheering for you and, that game is played versus somebody else fr- on the internet. And if I recall correctly, that's it's not at the same time. No, it's a ghost. It's kind of, right, it's recorded. So somebody did it, maybe somebody somebody did it once at some point with somebody else. His or her run was recorded, uploaded to Nintendo server, and then you can play through it multiple times. It's your best run on each map, and the maps by the way, are not the same maps as in World Tour. They are segments of World Tour maps that have been modified to be endlessly looping because uh, if you go very fast, you can actually just complete the segment. So it just loops over and over again to get you to get as much style points as possible throughout the run. Right. And um, at the end, the characters with most style points will collect all of those toads and those toads will go back into your kingdom and the more <coughs> the more toads you have the more um elements and items you can place into your kingdom blocks toad houses like mushroom houses so yeah the the, the kind of a animal crossing like element in super run is where is part of the toad rally where you accumulate those toad characters, and depending on the color you have, you can unlock different uh, elements to buy. Now that I think about it, I think three out of four of these games actually have like some customizable space or the publicly visible customizable space that you can modify. Like Mitomo has your uh, character that you can customize, and I believe your room could be customized as well. Uh, Super Mario Run has uh, your kingdom, which I. I I mean, did anyone actually care about the kingdom in Super Mario Run? I sure as hell didn't. Uh, and Animal Crossing is Animal Crossing, so there's that. Uh, yeah. Fire Emblem surprisingly did not have one, which is weird, but um, 
I don't want to get too much into Fire Emblem right now, so we'll move on. Right, but it, it is an interesting aspect to... It feels to me that something that Nintendo always likes to have. Well, it, it, it's not just that. It's that having a customizable part means you can basically bolt on microtransactions as much as you want from that point on. Because you can be like, here are cosmetic microtransactions for your customizable space, and then people will pay a ton of money because that is what they do when they are presented with an option to give people a bunch of money for cosmetic microtransactions. Uh, so, I don't know. The, it, it's kind of weird that they didn't really use it that way. Uh, like, you can't buy extra, uh, cosmetic microtransactions in Super Mario Run. The only way you can earn those extra customizations is through the game, which is fine by me because I don't really care. Um, but yeah, it's kind of funny to see those common elements in all those games. Right. And if you were to never pay for Super Mario Run, you could always play to Toad's Rally. But the small caveat with Toad's Rally is it costs you one game ticket. And if you don't pay, for the game, it becomes kind of time limited at certain at after a certain time at a time stamp that you've just played the game. Like it becomes harder and harder to get games ticket, and then you have kind of a waiting period for you to get more because you will get more ticket daily. But if you exhaust them while playing. You have to wait. Compared to when you play the game, you'll go through the world tour, and in the world tour, it's super easy to get tickets. There's always like a bonus level and stuff like that to gain you those tickets. So it's unless you play it super intense, uh, when you unlock the game, you will never or close to never run out of those game tickets. Yeah, I have one more thing to add about the business model, which is when Nintendo originally announced that they were getting into mobile games, uh, back when Iwata was still alive, God bless Iwata, um, he said something like, uh, we want to try to do better than the rest of the mobile gaming industry. We want to be ethical in our, uh, in how we do our microtransactions so that uh, we aren't like preying on children by feeding them these super microtransaction slot machines like the rest of the industry is. And uh, we sort of hinted at it earlier uh, when I said that Nintendo saw this as a bit of a failure, is that Nintendo seems to have learned their lesson from Super Mario Run, and the lesson that they learned is do not bother trying to do a lump sum game on the App Store because you're not going to recoup your money as well as if you do something more predatory. And I think, like, they sort of flip-flopped on that idea or are trying to find a middle ground to be more fair in their later games. Uh, and unfortunately- yeah, you're just going a bit too fast, a bit too fast. I still have stuff I want to cover about talk- uh, before talking about uh, the business case of Super... Everything well, you said we're just talking about the, the business model, so I just wanted I, I know, to jack it I, on. I know, but before we move that, the only last point I want to uh, wanted to tackle which is regarding the n- recent mode that was added to the game and also related to this recent mode is part of the business case and the business uh, model of Super Mario Run is it still continued to receive major updates whether it's bug or bugs or adding more ca- playable characters throughout its uh, lifetime so recently they added a new mode called Remix 10 which is a mode where you need to save Princess Daisy, and it's still another mode that goes, costs, costs a one a game ticket. And the way it works is you place you you place ten small portion of different levels part of the world tour, and it's like super fast. So you, the goal of it is you need to collect 
three rainbow coins in them. And if you fail, you auto automatically go to the next level. And after the 10, you get a, a report. And depending on how you did fare, you move like one level after the other. And I imagine like Princess Daisy's like can be saved after like 50 or 60 uh, levels that you need to complete. So maybe you need to play like five or six times to go through where uh, Princess Daisy is. So it's uh, it's same most more or less the same kind of idea regarding like Toad Rally, but just like on a quicker pace with really nice music, like music that makes you. F- go fast and it's really entertaining and it's a new mode that I think they tried to introduce and I'm sure it's been a while since I've played so I've recently started to play again a Super Mario Run and I think it's something that they introduced maybe last fall to try to uh, get more people to play the game and maybe at the end pay for the game but did anyone actually know I seriously learned about it when I relaunched the app I never uninstalled uh, Super Mario Run but when I run I ran it again this week, it asked me for a download, and then it showed me all of the information about uh, Remix 10, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of nice." Uh, I guess it's a it's a nice new mode, but I think it's a new mode a bit a little too late because if we go back to Yannick's point in last October, Nintendo reported that they were able to get 200 million downloads but even with those millions of downloads it did not result quote-unquote inacceptable profit and it's funny because one of the latest update is to make the game better for a character so it's easy they brag in their like kind of news portal on super mario run that you have five more times better chances of getting freebies compared to a previous updates so it felt to me, without I didn't experience that at that time, but it felt to me that Nintendo tried to maybe save quote unquote that game by changing it, making it better for customers. But at that time, when they realized that they didn't add acceptable profit for it, it was a little too late. So people left, people maybe had the game still installed, but never stopped playing it like I did. And they were hopeful that they might try it again, but I guess not everybody wants to talk about and do a podcast about Nintendo mobile games, so they didn't pick it back, pick it back up. Yeah, I think it's just too little, too late. And like, I I, I played Super Mario Run; it was f- fine. I mean, I I'm not a huge fan of the more recent 2D Mario games, uh, the ones in the new Super Mario Brothers engine, um, because I'm picky like that. Um, I think we've seen that in my last episode. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it was a fine game. I don't know if it's necessarily worth $10. I mean, I'm glad that I gave Nintendo $10 because I support their initiative into mobile gaming, and I wish that they could have continued doing premium mobile games because I think it's very good. But I also think that societal expectations for what a mobile game is in 2016, 2017, 2018 is very different from what Nintendo was making and... Uh, Super Mario Run was never going to be able to fit into that model in the way it was designed. Agreed. And after that, that's why they introduced Fire Emblem Heroes. Oh my god. (laughs) Before you go on about your opinion, I'll kind of say that this was the first typical free-to-play game from Nintendo. It was touted 
everywhere that Nintendo learned from Super Mario Run. And <laughs> I think th- this game like launched quite early too after N- Super Mario Run was launched. It like, was like April or March. Yeah, it was a couple of months after and everybody, like all of the news about Fire Emblem Heroes was really like, oh, this is a more traditional free-to-play game. Um, it seems that Nintendo kind of learned already that maybe the model they've used for Super Mario Run won't work, won't be a business successful case. So let's see what will happen. And as far as I know, Fire Emblem Heroes is still alive. and It is incredibly successful. In fact, uh, there was a new... Uh, they, they do like monthly uh, YouTube videos, like mini Nintendo Directs just for Fire Emblem Heroes. And it's wow, like half okay. an hour long every month where they talk about the newest stuff coming in the next patch. And now they're putting a music game into Fire Emblem Heroes, which means I probably have to reinstall it on my phone now. Um, but yeah, it's incredibly successful and it is unapologetically living up to the Japanese mobile game stereotype. It is embracing it 100%. And what do you mean by that? Okay. So Japanese mobile games have a basic structure that is, uh, the gotcha system. So you collect orbs throughout the game. Uh, you get, I believe, like two or three orbs for completing each story mission. Um, and you can redeem 20 of these orbs, I think. Uh, no, it's not 20. It's five orbs, I think, to get a slot, uh, get a shot at a slot machine, basically, that gives you a random character from the Fire Emblem universe. Uh, and this character can be uh, rated between one and five stars, which is basically their rarity, and it, it determines what skills and stats they have on their uh, character. And basically what happens is every two to three weeks, they have limited time events where you get different shots at different characters. Uh, so let's say this week they're going to say, oh, uh, for Valentine's Day, we're going to put all the hot babes from Fire Emblem Fates uh, in the loot pool, so go ahead, have fun. And Everybody who has been saving up their orbs will be able to spend either five orbs per shot at the slot machine to get their favorite character, or they can pay 20 orbs for five, I think is the rebate. And of course, orbs are like something stupid uh, in real money to buy. Uh, it's like, I-, I think five orbs for one, uh, for one shot is either three or five bucks. Um, and, like, you could get a one-star, which is effectively completely useless, uh, but you can also get a five-star, which is probably going to be killer. Um, and this is basically the shell that's around all Japanese mobile games. There's also a stamina system, which means you can only play uh, so many times. So very early on, you're going to be able to play basically for hours on end because you're very early level. But as soon as you get to, like, level 30 or whatever, uh, then you're going to have... Uh, each time you try to play a story mission at the difficulty where you are at, it's going to cost a bigger percentage of your bar than if you were playing lower level missions. So you don't really get to play as much. Uh, and that incentivizes you to spend money to refill your stamina meter. So basically every successful Japanese mobile game has this formula and Nintendo basically copied it entirely. And then like it's this is sort of the shell that all the games are in and there are games in very different genres there are music games that are like this there are uh puzzle games that are like this uh we talked about puzzle and dragons which is basically just bejeweled but with this shell around it and then you've got this which is fire emblem so fire emblem is a nintendo turn-based strategy game where you have uh well in fire emblem heroes you have four or five characters 
on your map. And uh, this is a simplified version of Fire Emblem. So your objective in each map is to defeat the other five characters on the other team. In the uh, 3DS and GBA games, you have more complex objectives like capture this base or defend your base for this many turns. But to keep things simple for the mobile version, they decided now you just have to beat everyone else on the map. Right. And it feels to me that if you compare it to Super Mario Run, it felt to me that the Fire Emblem IP itself was more usable to make a typical free-to-play game compared to maybe Super Mario itself. And I think... I think it's a good time to plug it. I think if we go back in our catalog and listen the episode we made about free-to-play games and all of the types of free-to-play games that are in the Japan market, you'll realize that Super Mario Run is really an outside strategy. It's not something common these days, even here. But in Japan, it's a foreign concept to them to do kind of a trial-based game. Like Fire Emblem just hit that spot directly and also its IP makes it uh, viable and it fits. There's always this uh, this stamina aspect even in the normal games uh, that could be like stretch out for a time period because you've exhausted all of it and you need to wait a day to come back and play for free. Uh, re- regarding that aspect, is Fire Emblem a role good if you don't want to spend money? Because we all know that for free to play games, like it's about five to ten, uh, maybe a bit too much, but five to ten percent of the user base is kind of making the product profitable or not. So is Fire Emblem easy to play for free or it's really limiting? It depends how you want to play. So there are like, well, when I was playing, I played for the first month and a half or so that the game was out. Uh, I don't know if any updates have changed any major significant uh, things about the game, but there were basically like two big modes. You could play the story and you can get by the story on normal and hard just fine. It's when you get into lunatic that you're going to have to really like start planning your stuff out carefully. But otherwise, like normal and hard, you can just go through the story just fine and you'll be okay. If you want to play player versus player, then you are probably going to get screwed much more heavily. Like I was doing okay at the start of the game because there were less systems in place to allow people who had uh, five-star characters to continue investing in those characters to make them even better. Um, so originally you couldn't do things like share skills between characters, whereas now the one of the key strategies is you can just say, okay, I'm going to get all of the best characters in the game by spending a lot of money. And then I am just going to share skills between the best skill havers in the game onto the best stat havers in the game. And then you have the best characters with the best stats and the best skills in your party. And then you destroy everything. Yeah. You, you, you just build your A team and voila. Yeah. But you can't really do that if you don't spend money. So if you want to play player versus player, there is some level of equal level matchmaking in place, or at least there was early on. Um, but I do remember that it was getting gradually worse as the weeks were going on. So I don't know if it was just like the average power level of everyone was going higher than I was rising. Um, but it's definitely something you can do. You can play the game for free and it is a decent game. I must say I am a pretty good Fire Emblem fan. And I've played, like, uh, the last couple games on 3DS, and I like them a lot. I think they oversimplify the gameplay a little bit too much for me, and that a lot of the depth in the gameplay is in how you build your characters outside of the game, in the, like, in the menus and in the paid portion, 
Whereas in the 3DS games and the the uh, Wii games and all that stuff, there's much more importance in the strategic placement of your characters and all that. Whereas the maps are so small because they have to fit on one screen that that isn't really an option on the mobile version, uh, which is kind of a bummer. Um, the other thing I do want to mention, because it is actually relevant, you were saying about how uh, Fire Emblem IP is sort of made for this. Like, it's been a long, it's been a feature in the Fire Emblem series for a very long time that you can marry your characters together and have children. So people are very invested in their favorite characters and their crazy fan fiction. And therefore, there is a lot of stuff <laughs> happening in their heads when they are spinning that slot machine to get their new characters. And like, that is also like, something that most of the successful uh, gacha games in Japan do, and Fire Emblem has found a way to bank on it. Uh, the, the other thing is, the every character in this game is voice acted, um, which wow, is that's a... incredibly bold, because most Japanese gacha games do not have voice acting for every character. They have the popular characters voice acted, and then you have, like, here is a trash one-star character that has no voice acting and was drawn by a 13-year-old. And, like, <laughs> there... Or the intern in its in his corner, in his or corner, like, go draw a one-star character and come back after three months. Yeah, there are very clear tiers of, like, here are the shit characters that we give to you if you are a free-to-play player, and here are the pl- things you are going to spend money for because you're going to be embarrassed to have these shit characters in your party after three weeks. Um... And Fire Emblem, all of the characters have very nice art. Uh, sometimes they are in very similar poses. There's sort of like this thread on Twitter where it's like, here is every character in the game in the exact same pose because they don't know how to draw other poses, I guess. But aside from that, like all of the artists that they get to do the art are very good and the art is very good for every character and the voice acting is phenomenal for each character. And this is in English and in Japanese. Uh, so it hmm, is okay. quite an expensive endeavor, but it seems to be paying off. Um, yeah, we could say that it's kind of Nintendo's making sure that they're not nickel and dumbing you too much, right? Because that was their opinion and kind of like they wanted to make sure that if they do free to play games, they know they are they could be successful at it, but they still want to be ethical. I'm putting this word in big quotes while saying it here, but they they felt that they need to bring some ethics. Well, th- th- there is something special about the slot machine system in this game, though. So I do want to explain this, uh, and this does coincide a little bit with the Japanese law that was put in place, like right around the time that Fire Emblem Heroes came out. Um, so, basically, there have been lots of stories in the past few years of Japanese gacha games basically saying, here's this limited time event. This character is like five times higher odds than usual. And it turns out they were lying. And a lot of people Ooh. got really mad. Uh, and they sued the company. And basically now... There are, like, two things. Uh, you have to publish your odds uh, publicly, and, like, the government can come and inspect and say, actually, yes, these are odds. Sort of like a normal gambling thing would go, except it's technically not gambling because Japanese laws are crazy. But, but whoa, 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 I know the, the Japanese law might be crazy, but it, what we're describing is gambling. Oh, I know, except, like, what is considered to be gambling in Japan is very vague. You have to basically be gambling for money at all times, or else it's not gambling. Wow, okay. But, okay. Wow, and there are lots crazy. of loopholes in the system to allow the entire Japanese gambling industry because it's like, but this is, that's another podcast. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. And the second thing is, if you do not get 
the highest rarity item in the game after spending uh $300 equivalent in yen, you have to be given the option to get any of the high rarity items you want. Just one, but it basically means there is a cap now of $300 because there were people spending literally tens of thousands of dollars to get that one character that got that company sued. Uh, and like, again, it's like, this is how they're making their money. You can question the ethics of it, but at the end of the day, like they're still the ones choosing to pay $10,000 to, it's very strange to talk about free to play games in this way because it's very uncomfortable to basically see what these game companies companies are doing to make money in 2018. But that is effectively what they're doing. Right, then that's that's why I stopped you and was like, I wanted to make it clear because, and I think it's a point we mentioned in our bigger free-to-play episode, is these days free-to-play game is a bit like all of the tactics casinos makes for gambling, right? It's just yep. like they want they, they don't want you to be addict, but they really want you to be addict to this the, game. The big difference is that free-to-play games are available to all ages, whereas casinos and all that stuff are not. Pachinko parlors are 18 and over and all that stuff. That's true. There are Japanese laws which are like, okay, if you want to have a gotcha system in your thing, you have to have a spending cap for anyone below the age of 18. And I think, like, it gradually goes up as you get older. So I think, like, if you're under 12, you can spend, like, $10 a month or whatever. And there's, like, this system in place to look at all that. I'm not entirely into that because I don't think that system is active outside of Japan anyway. Um, But, like, yeah, there's all of that stuff. But going back to what I was saying. So, yeah, if you don't get your five-star Camilla that you really want after spending $300, uh, you will get... Other mobile games will just give you a menu and let you say, okay, choose whichever one you want. Uh, there is a difference uh, with uh, how Fire Emblem does it, and the way it happens is every time you do a slot machine pull that does not get you a five-star, um, your chances of getting a five-star go up. Simple as huh. that. And there is a hard cap. I think it is something like 150, 200 times, basically, that if you don't get a five-star, you just guaranteed get a five-star. Um, and th- this sort of works against the law because technically you got a five-star, so they don't have to give you a menu to let you choose exactly which five-star you want. Um, but at the same time, it's a lower cap and you get a five-star. Um, so I don't know. It, it, it's your call to determine if you think that this is a better system than the law or whatever. Um but they did try to be fair. And again, those odds are public. So as you see yourself losing the one star, you see the five star uh, odds going up. Um, yeah. So that's pretty much what I had to say about that system. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I wonder, and it's, I'm dropping a bit in, uh, to Animal Crossing for 30 seconds, but uh, I always wondered why we were saying those percentage of like, oh, you can get this item at this percentage. Like what's the, it's because they're required to. Yeah, now I understand. Which was like it reminded me of when we were playing Pokemon like years ago. When I was playing Pokemon years ago, like it, there was a lot of optimization you could do by knowing the percentage of chances you would be able to capture a certain Pokemon. So that's nice that for those games because law requires it because gambling. The the other Pokemon. thing that is very strange about this, by the way, is technically if you compare this to Magic, like the card game, like. Technically, there's nothing different with what you're doing in Magic the Gathering. You're buying packs of 15 cards. One could be worth $300. One could be worth 15 cents. And they are both in the rare slot. And it is total gamble what you get when the thing, except that's not regulated. Should it be? I don't know. It's kind of 
it feels different because it's physical and the cards have resale value, whereas you don't really have resale value in a digital game where whether or not you're allowed to trade things is determined by the vendor of the application. Uh, and obviously it's not in their interest to allow you to trade because then you could just trade instead of spending money. Um, but yeah, very, very strange stuff going on there. Uh, and also, I mean, it's sort of a sad fact of these kinds of games. We spent more time talking about the goddamn slot machine than we did talking about the actual game here. Uh, and like, this is also mostly the case for all of these games. But if you're Fire Emblem fan, there's a lot of good Fire Emblem fan service in Fire Emblem Heroes. So you should go check it out. Although you probably have by now if you were a Fire Emblem fan. And, uh, otherwise it is a nice simplified version of Fire Emblem. Uh, to play on the bus. If you are really bored, there is an autoplay button in the bottom left bu- left corner of the screen that you can press on, and the phone will play for you if you are that bored. Um, <laughs> I don't understand what? this, but okay, sure, why not? You 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 pay a computer to play for you. That's good. That's oh, it's it's not paid. I you think... just press autoplay and it plays itself. Right, but if you you end up spending money in Fire Emblem at some point, you you could do this association. Yeah, that's okay. But uh, you're bringing me to a good point, which will make us transition to Animal Crossing. But before uh, we do, uh, I think you kind of assumed that I haven't played a Fire Emblem because I didn't speak too much about it. Uh, but I think we can say that it's the first f- mobile game from Nintendo that is successful. And this drives us to Animal Crossing. And the reason why I think our discussion about all of the uh, gambling effect of those free-to-play games, it feels to me, after playing Animal Crossing for a while, that those are kind of played down, I think, I feel, in Animal Crossing. Maybe it's because I haven't played too much of it, but it feels that I never run into those, uh, like, hard limit where you're required to pay for something to happen. But before we go on that, I really want to talk about Animal Crossing and the way they applied this IP to mobile game. So uh, Pocket Camp is a simpler but a typical Animal Crossing uh, game. So as it suggests, uh, Pocket Camp is in a camping site, which you've become some kind of manager at the beginning. And like any other Animal Crossing game, the quote-unquote gold, because uh, Animal Crossing, if you don't know, it's not a story-based game. It's just like you wander around. I think the best way to describe it is it's the what was the name? What was the name of the general that bartender was in it? I remember there was a fancy Yashike name. or healing. Yeah, right. Animal Crossing is a healing game. Well, I think that's the best way to describe the, it. The Japanese called it a communication game. Uh, which made more sense on the N64 and the GameCube when you were writing letters more. Uh, this game does not feature letter writing, so it's not really so much of a communication game. But I mean, like, in broad terms, it's because you communicate with the other people in your town. Right. And I don't think the DS version had too much of letter writing because I. They all have letter writing except for, uh, Pocket Camp, except it was just less important in the oh, more recent versions. Okay. But still, as any Animal Crossing games, the, the kind of the goal of the game is to build friendship with the people you live. So whether it's in your town or in the, like in this game, in your camping ground. And also, you need to work hard to furnish and upgrade your camp and your caravan. The best and the main way to build those friendship is to fulfill requests by giving by fulfilled requests by your friends and giving them resources found around the camp. 
uh, in exchange, your friends give you money and crafting resources. And here, when I use, in the next few uh, sentences too, when I use the word friend, it's really like characters, like AI characters that live in your camping ground. Since uh, Pocket Camp is a mobile game, it's and it's a Nintendo game, it is sadly always connected. So there's also some of the characters you encounter that are other players, but you can't build friendship with them. It's really with the AI characters that you're building friendship and that you have requests to fulfill. Well, you can become friends with them by asking them to join your friends list, but you can't really do anything more than that. Right, because when you have friends in your friends list, there's, I think, two benefit three you can see what they have to sell as resources they might be selling resources they found um you can't sell crafted resources if i recall correctly because i didn't see a way to do it i was trying to do it and it was only showing me the resources i found in the camping ground and not stuff i crafted yeah there's a distinction between items and furniture in this game and right basically you can you're limited to the items pool for selling things and uh, yeah, and the items are what I'm referring as just resources available around the campground. So there's the market, their market store that they have the stuff. You can go see their camping ground and give them kudos about their layout and the furniture they've put in it. And the third one is about a different mode in the game, which is called Shovel Strike Carry, which uh, if you have lots of friends, it can help you access this mode for free. But more on that, uh, more on that mode for later. So, uh, all of these game mechanics were nice in the handheld versions of Animal Crossing, but I was a bit worried that Nintendo would do a bit of too much of free to play, uh, game strategies to kind of block your process and make you pay. And that's something Yannick mentioned that was quite pushed really to like 110% in Fire Emblem. And I do feel that in Pocket Cam, there's a good balance between let you, letting you play for free and kind of putting roadblocks uh, to make you pay. Of course, since Animal Crossing is a game where you find resources, you craft stuff, and you buy upgrades and all of that, they, it's also another IP that is easy to put uh, typical free-to-play roadblocks in it. So yes, crafting resources takes hours, resources you find like items you find around your camping ground don't renew that so fruits and trees they don't renew when you just exit to come back in the portion of the camera where there's fruits you need to wait a couple of hours to those to grow back and same when you want to uh craft furniture you need to wait sometimes even days which i think the crafting is kind of the big places where it puts roadblocks is it could take days or you can pay for it to be available faster but in the end uh i feel that animal crossing is a good game you just play a couple of minutes while i was about to say while you're in the subway but that doesn't work in montreal because no internet but like it's something you play a couple minutes you go see your friends you go talk to them try to find fulfill one of their requests you put something in to craft you wait a couple hours you go on with your life and then you come back uh i know with the nl version uh you could play animal crossing for hours i don't because of the free-to-play strategies i don't think it's something that is uh, accessible in uh, animal crossing unless you pay one of the big roadblocks actually doing that is item storage so 
you can collect items, but your item storage is incredibly limited. And like a lot of other free-to-play games with item boxes, you can uh, use tickets to increase the size of your item storage box. But at a certain point, it sort of stops scaling as fast as how, how you can gather stuff. And you basically have to decide every single time you pick up an item, what am I going to throw away to enable this? And gathering all those resources together are rarely going to actually amount to something that you want. So it's sort of a weird thing. Um, I don't know. It, it, I, I, I mean, I played uh, Animal Crossing for a week and a half, two weeks, and I spent every single ticket that I got on item box upgrades, and I kept filling up my item box. Whereas in the handheld and uh, console versions... You want more storage? You just go buy a fucking drawer at the next shop and you've got more storage. Uh, you've got, uh, extra storage at, um, uh, is it the, well, you can cheat it. You can actually attach furniture to letters and then go put it at the post office storage, um, which is a great <laughs> oh, way to store. That. Yeah. They're, like there are a bunch of little hacks you can do in the game to actually get extra storage. None of which are actually present on this. So like gathering items, you have, you're going to outgather what you have storage for anyway, so you can't just keep playing it like that. And uh, your friend's requests are on a six-hour timer, I believe. A six- or 24-hour timer. I know that the trees, I think, are on six-hour timers, and the requests are daily. Something like that. Right. Um, so after you've done all of your friend's three requests, you don't have anything to do in this game aside from wandering around and gathering more items that you can't store. So you're sort of limited, even if you wanted to pay, like you're just going to increase your item box by five slots a shot, I think, which is not enough. So I don't know. Yes. It's, uh, 20 leaf tickets for uh, five more items. And you, you're kind of hitting a point. I'm not a huge fan of Animal Crossing. It's an IP that I like, but I'm not in love with it. And even with the normal games, after playing maybe a day or two, like, a, like quite intensively, I would always get bored at it. Uh, like, a, like we said, and it's, I think I'll repeat what I said about Bartender. Like, there's not enough action in it. Like, it's just like, just feels to me more like, normal life whether you're living like in a countryside town or in a camping but what i liked about the other games is there's a lot way more activities you can do and in this one it's super simple uh i'm at the point where i realize that now i can grow flowers i don't know if it's part of a festival that is launching right now or it was update an update that was added recently where you can grow flowers but i've just encountered that just before we started recording I've kind of unlocked it. I don't know. It just showed up in my camping ground. I was like, oh, that's where you can go uh, grow flowers, which is something I didn't encounter. But still, after you run out of all the growing flower resources, you kind of are stuck waiting for nothing to do. Yeah, and I I just want to like put out my big complaint about this game is that one of the things that I like the most about uh, Animal Crossing on other systems is that you basically could pretty much make your space whatever you wanted it to be as soon as you basically fully upgraded the Nook Shop. That's sort of like the how you clear uh, Animal Crossing, like for speedrunners and stuff, is you fully upgrade the Nook Shop and then you've sort of beaten the game in big quotes. Uh, either that or you get like the full house upgrades. And 
what was cool about it is then you could just go into the catalog and street pass on the latest 3ds version really made this insane where uh if you go into the street pass village in animal crossing on 3ds any furniture you see in anyone else's house you can just click on a button and order it and you get it the next day and you could really like in, in Japan where it's ridiculous. Like you walk three blocks to the grocery store and back and you have 10 street passes on your 3ds. And this is not a joke. Uh, like my street pass village on my 3ds is full from all my trips to Japan. And I just basically have this immense catalog of furniture I can order from, uh, and do crazy shit in my, uh, in my house. And there's a reason I spent 133 hours in animal crossing on 3ds and it's because I just had so many ways to express myself in that game that I could, like, spend more time working towards building my room exactly the way I wanted it. And the options in Pocket Camp are much more limited. But the other problem is all of the furniture is gated off by your friends. So if the piece of furniture I want is only available from a friend that I need to get at level 40, I have to play through... F- uh, I have to make furniture for all of the friends in the first 40 levels to actually get to the level 40 friend that has the actual furniture I want. And that is not the kind of grinding I want to do. I would rather just go play on my 3DS where I could just buy the stuff and work towards it that way. So I think like there are issues with how this game fits into the way I play Animal Crossing. And I think it's a way that a lot of other people play Animal Crossing too, which is probably going to make them upset. And what makes this even worse is there's a, Another 3DS Animal Crossing game called Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer, uh, which is literally just about decorating people's houses. And what's great about this is you don't even have to buy the furniture. You go into other people's houses and you make their houses look cool. <laughs> yeah, so that's perfect for players that just want to build their houses the way they like Yeah, it. if you want to theme things heavily, like that game is perfect for you. And like there's none of that really in Pocket Camp because the space you have to customize yourself is very limited anyway. And you're spending all your time building this furniture you don't even want just to be able to get to the people who actually have the furniture you can get. So, yeah, I, I don't like it. I wish the starting set of friends were random instead of everybody starting with the same set of friends because at least then you would see different designs, whereas, for like, for the first week of the game, everybody had the same campsite because they were all at the same level and they all had the same friends that they had to build the same stupid furniture for. Uh I mean, it, it sort of disconnected from the personalization aspect of pocket camp uh, of animal crossing for me right and i kind of right now the way i am i would say the way i i I am stuck right now is like i have a shit ton of furniture that i'm not sure what i need to do with and for what i've seen you spend a lot of resources and money and if you try to sell it it's like completely not worth it because you get a fraction of what it costs you to do and then you just end up where I have a shit ton of friends in my camping ground. I don't know what to do with them. They're just there. All of your friends want their favorite furniture to be out in your campsite, but it also causes a complete decoherence of theme across all of the furniture because some guy wants the goth furniture set out and the other guy wants like the flower set out and it looks ridiculous, but otherwise they won't be happy. So you have to put them both out. Like it's stupid. Right. Uh, Last point before we move on of Animal Crossing is the, uh, I think the only other social aspect we mentioned that you can have your other friends playing the game, not the 
in game one uh, being shown and the like I said they give you a special access to another mode that is called a shovel strike carry and it's a special location in camping grounds where you get rewarded to just break rocks or shovel rocks and the only issue I had with it is since I don't know much people that played Animal Crossing. The only way to get it for free in it is to have at least to convince five of your real friends to help you go shovel rocks. And because the goal of it is you break rocks, you find gold, silver stuff, like you find like, uh, rare rocks and uh, rare rocks in it. And then you get, the more you get, the more you get like resources or money out of this mode. But if you're a lonely person like me, you need to pay using leaf tickets that those you can run out quickly because everyone in the game, if you want to go faster, it asks you for leaf ticket. So of course, this is the way you are buying. That's the like the microtransaction part of it is you pay real money to get fake money. And then those are leaf ticket that could be used everywhere basically anywhere you see a farmville timer you can spend leaf tickets to make it go away and everywhere uh you see a number limit in something like whether it's your item box storage or whatever you can pay leaf tickets to make it go up right which i think this is the most like shovel strike query plus all of those leaf tickets is where uh you will encounter the most like farmville like and all of those free-to-play strategies but i've seen that i think nintendo i'm I think Animal Crossing is quite successful by itself, from what I've heard. It seems uh, to be. But, like, Nintendo is really, like, giving in this game. I booted it again this week again, and I, like, I was, like, getting, like, I think a hundred free leaf ticket because, like, there was, like, like login promotion. And, like, there was a lot of stuff to happen with <laughs> Nintendo updates. earnings call login promotion. <laughs> I guess. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of, uh, also my opinion about, uh, Animal Crossing. It's nice, limiting. Uh, I guess I need to play, to play some of the, uh, recent Animal Crossing to remind me because the last Animal Crossing I've played before this one is the one on the 3D, the DS, excuse me. And when I bought my first fat DS, it came with it. So it's a while ago. The last game we'll be talking, and this one will be quick because it's a future announcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this, uh, this week is really a topical week because part of the announcement Nintendo make, they tease a future mobile game using the Mario Kart IP. So the name of this future game on the Mario Kart series is Mario Kart Tour. And we don't know much except that it will happen in fiscal year 2019. So for Nintendo, it's starting in April of this year and ends in March 2019. So hopefully in the next 12 to 14 months, we will have a, uh, uh, we'll have first more details about what Mario Kart Tour is and B, hopefully we might be able to play it. Maybe after reviewing all of the four uh, Nintendo mobile games, the main worry I have with Mario Kart Tour is I haven't said that much kind of like uh, driving games on free-to-play stuff. So I worry that they're trying to do the same as with Super Mario Run, which we already know was not that successful for them or they didn't get the investment back they wanted to have. So I'm wondering what they were planning to do with Mario Kart Tour. I played Real Racing 3, which is 
basically EA bought the company that did real racing on iOS, which I forget the name of because I forget every name of every company that EA buys. Um, <laughs> and it was fine. Uh, I think it was basically a stamina system that they were doing uh, for that. I, oh, I, I would be really excited if they could do real time multiplayer for uh, Mario Kart Tour because that seems like the killer feature. Ooh, uh, I don't nice. think they're going to do it, but yeah, I think it would be great. Um, yeah, I, I'm really wondering what this game is going to be like. I hope it's not going to be like a bait and switch and it turns out it's not even a racing game. It's just like a card collecting game with Mario Kart characters in it or something, uh, which would be something totally not cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of questions. Like, there's literally the only info we have is it's coming out in fiscal year 2019 and here's the logo. Um, so there's not much, like, we can just speculate about it, but I really like Mario Kart, so I am looking forward to seeing what this is. The one, uh, hesitation thing is if it is an actual racing game, I hope the assists from the Switch version of, uh, Mario Kart can be turned off because I don't necessarily want auto acceleration, auto steer, all that stuff on all the time. Whoa, are you implying that they cannot be turned off on the Switch? No, because I, we turned them off and we saw what that gave. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 okay, because I was like, uh, we played with them off. Uh, uh, no, yeah. Yeah, you won nice, that but one. That's true, that's true. Uh, but, uh, yeah, th- that's why I'm worried about the game, because it feels to me that the Mario Kart IP feels like what they would do with Super Mario Run, which was a good game, but not a successful on the business side of things but it was a really good game and still is so i expect something like that so that's why i'm super worried and hopefully it's not a real big tease like Yannick just mentioned and then we'll see in the coming months do you have like a, a super harmonious conclusion for this thing I kind of do and i kind of don't okay so i'll do with the i kind of do part uh, after reviewing these four games, you realize that sadly Nintendo tried to be really kind of ethical and trying to say we will be able to do mobile games with the current uh, industry where to be successful on the mobile, you really need to do free to play games. People, either people wants to give you a shit ton of money so you find an elective way to give, uh, to make sure they give you a shit ton of money or people just don't pay for games sadly anymore. And it's nice that Nintendo tried to go maybe a bit on the left side to try to find free to play games that are more Nintendo like with their, with their moral values and all. But sadly, Nintendo realized quickly that sadly on Android and iOS, that's not how it works. And they decided to go back more typical strategies for free to play games. And they're seeing, as we know now, without real numbers, having good success, maybe huge success, but that wouldn't surprise me that they just came out with say, oh, Animal Crossing was a huge success, uh, Fire Emblem, huge success, even if it's mostly Japan focused right now. Uh, it makes me a bit sad because Nintendo was trying to make different mobile games and the way they made different mobile games made good mobile games, but not business successful ones so i want to talk about a different way in which nintendo said they were going to be making different mobile games and it's something we have not addressed at all since the start of this podcast but i'm going to do it now which is when nintendo introduced this entire strategy their initial strategy was we're going to make mobile games that are going to make people want to play the full versions of these games on our consoles and so far i think that 
all of these games have sort of failed at that mandate. Uh, Mitomo is sort of weird because it doesn't really equate to anything at all. Uh, so we can sort of forget that one. Um, Super Mario Run has basically no connection with anything elsewhere on Nintendo systems. Like, it's clearly based on uh, the similar physics engine as New Super Mario Brothers, um, but, like, at the time it was released, there was no 2D Mario game similar to it that it could really push people towards, and it didn't really make sense, and there was never any tie-in with Super Mario Odyssey or anything like that. So, it's right. It, w- it would have been like trying to push you away, you in 2016. Yeah, it, it would have made. No I'm sure sense. Nintendo would be happy, but at the same time, the Wii U was declared dead. That's and it, it would have made more sense for them to actually push people towards New Super Mario Brothers 2 on 3DS, since that's the system people actually owned, and there's a lot more similarity between NSMB 2 and Super Mario Run, given that they basically run on the same engine. Uh, they they don't in practice, but. To the player's eyes, it looks no different. Um, Fire Emblem is a little strange, because Fire Emblem came out two months before Fire Emblem Echoes came out, which is the newest 3DS version, uh, and it's a remake of Fire Emblem Gaiden, which was only released in Japan on the Famicom. And what's very strange about that game is it, it's basically just a remake of that game with better graphics, but so many things about that game feel so modern, and yet it's... Like, that's how it was in the 80s when it was released, uh, which is very strange. And everything sort of seemed to hint leading into the launch of the game that they were going to make, like, this big, huge promo push inside of Fire Emblem Heroes uh, for the launch of this game. And then nothing happened. This is why I stopped playing the game, because I was waiting for the characters of Fire Emblem Echoes to be available in the slot machine so I could try to get them. And it never came. Like, it stopped being relevant... Uh, like, it makes no sense. Like, the characters were nowhere to be seen around the launch of the game. And I'm like, how can you blow this opportunity so much? And I feel like, especially for a game that has so much, uh, emotional attachment to the characters, like Fire Emblem, like, you have to play into those things at the right time. And they really blew it with that one. Um, is it me or they kind of took the problem the wrong way because when we discuss all of those um, card trading games that are having more uh, now online components or like virtual components the premise of them is really to say you like to play with the physical cards sadly you cannot have the physical cards with you at all times and maybe have friends play with you with the physical card at all times so we will provide you with the virtual interface and then you can play at all times and it's kind of a transition from the physical world or like the other bigger ip to the small one on mobile and maybe trying to do the inverse was not the right strategy fire emblem isn't a card game first of all no right but if you can convert that to fire emblem i would say like it would have made more sense to say like maybe echoes goes out first and say yo here's echo that's fine when you are in like in front of your quote-unquote switch with not the switch i know but if you don't have the Switch with you, you can always have it on your phone and play it all the time. That's kind of the, trend, the logical transition I would have seen. Not saying like, oh, you play it on the phone, you go back to the Nintendo console, even if that's what Nintendo was saying. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's very strange. Uh, a lot of people were speculating like before any of these games were released that they were going to have some sort of tie-in where like 
because you can gain uh, my Nintendo points, <laughs> which we haven't spoken oh, about. <laughs> How can I? For- oh man, why did I forget about Nintendo Good points? Good thing oh. I brought it up. So, by playing through these games, you get my Nintendo coins, and the way my Nintendo coins work is the coins you earn in a game can be spent on anything if it's for a Nintendo console or any reward specific to that game, but not rewards on other Nintendo mobile games. So if I play Fire Emblem Heroes and I beat every chapter, I think I get a thousand coins. Uh, and you can spend those thousand coins either on a thousand coins worth of rewards for 3DS or Wii U. There are no rewards for Switch because God fucking knows why. And uh, I can spend them on orbs for Fire Emblem, but I can't go spend them on rewards for Super Mario Run because that would be bad, I guess. So that's what's really weird is you log into my Nintendo and you see like seven different kinds of coins because you have Mario coins, you have Animal Crossing coins, you have Mitomo coins, you have uh, Fire Emblem coins, you have gold coins and you have platinum coins, which apply to uh, gold and all of the other types of rewards at once. And it's like, my god, Nintendo, what are you doing with this system? But whatever. Um, Speaking of my Nintendo coins, I think I lost all of my Super Mario Run Nintendo coins, and I don't know why. I have like 3,520 coins, and I don't know what to spend them on, because all the rewards are terrible. So, (laughs) that's great. Yeah. But yeah, like, there's no cohesion in there. And Animal Crossing, once again, like, there's nothing for Animal Crossing Pocket Camp to push people toward. Now, again, the speculation, people are all like, oh my god, it's going to be great when Animal Crossing comes out on Switch, and then you can go visit your camping grounds from within the Switch version. And I'm like, whoa, calm down. So far, (laughs) you have fantasized about these kinds of integration for all of the other Nintendo games that have come out, and none of them have happened. So I don't know why this one is going to be the one that's going to happen. Not to mention, they haven't even announced an Animal Crossing for the Switch yet, although it has to be coming. Come on. Um, hey, I think Tony was hinting that they announced some kind of new Pokemon game on Switch or entered at Pokemon on Switch recently with the big announcement. Because I know he was super excited about it. I don't know why, but he kind of was super excited about it and just said, oh, it's coming. I don't know when, but it's coming. They kind of entered about it. Well, they they did, but that was like six to eight, nine months ago. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm misremembering this discussion, but oh well. Uh, but even then, with all the discussion we had, I still feel that Animal Crossing is the closest one to that other goal. Like, this is on the good path, maybe not like super good bad uh, for you to transition to the console games. But I think this is the one, the closest to that goal, even if it's maybe like 10 kilometers away. I think, I, I I think the way I see pocket camp is not so much as an animal crossing game for mobile and more a replacement for street pass. Now that the switch doesn't have it anymore. Hmm. Because Street Pass, like, uh, we joke about it a lot because Street Pass has zero relevance in North America where nobody owns a 3DS. Uh, Let's say 0.1%. Okay, I've Street Passed two people in Trois-Rivières in five years. (laughs) Yeah, I've Street Passed a a couple of people here in Montreal Okay, in the subway. So it's not that bad, but it's not like your Street Pass memory is full after three blocks. Yeah, well, th- that is me every day, every every time I go to the grocery store when I'm in Japan. Um, 
which is why I'm like, I still probably have a flashing street pass light that says like, you have 150 guild cards in Monster Hunter 3G that you haven't played in three years to go uh, check. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's interesting to look at Pocket Camp as sort of a s- substitute for Street Pass now that the Switch has sort of replaced the 3DS in everybody's hands except for mine. Um, and eventually, like, th- they might actually do some integration where, like, you meet people throughout the day and maybe you can visit their uh, camping grounds on your Switch. And the same thing happens as when you do on 3DS, you just press on a button on some of the furniture that's in there and you can buy it and maybe there's exclusive furniture you can only get if you also uh happen to pair your switch with your pocket camp account or something like that like it, there is potential there except there's always been potential for all of these games it's just never been exploited and i am looking forward to seeing how they're going to exploit this like mario kart tour is there going to be like a mario kart 9 that's going to integrate with this that would be cool i mean everybody would be down for that um but who knows? Uh, it, like that part of the strategy, which was originally announced at the same time that they announced this mobile game strategy and the Switch. Let's not forget the Switch was also announced. Uh, well, it was called the NX then, but they basically said, oh yeah, we're working on a new system. It's called NX and it's going to have something to do with the integration of handheld and system. That is basically all they said at that press conference. And it's what we're living today. Um, and th- that part of the strategy seems to have fallen completely off to the side, and who knows what is going to happen to it. Yep, I, I think at this point, uh, and we will learn on that, I think at this point, if you like Animal Crossing, I think you can just download it, maybe play a couple of days, like a couple of like 30 minutes here, 20 minutes here, there, in between stuff in your normal day-to-day life. Uh, I would say the same about Super Mario Run, but I don't think at this point it's worth maybe paying the... Nine ninety nine to play with it if you're a Super Mario fan, uh, especially since Nintendo announced that it's not really successful. So I wonder if they just stop uh, patching it and all of that stuff. So it might be time to do that now before an iOS release breaks it. And that's it. Cool. So if you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can find them at limitlesspossibility.net slash 82, or you can find all of our episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. And you can find us individually on Twitter as well. I am Sakarina, S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And Luc Olivier is at... Luc that's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.